This is The Playbook. It was so funny because halfway through this big interview with a big network, they realized they had the wrong David Meltzer. Oh, my God. Because they were asking about Ronda Rousey, and I could see kind of where they were going. And the funniest thing is when they found out that I was the other David Meltzer, then they found out that the head of my media was Justin Pugh, and their producer was like another name anomaly like us, and it was just a complete shit show that nobody was who they were supposed to be, and it ended up being one of the best shows I ever did at the Super Bowl. Oh, man, that's <laughs> hilarious. Where does your love for uh, sports come from? Well, I wanted to be a professional athlete, probably like same every little kid. And I love football. I played college football and, you know, really for me, loved every sport. I love competition. Uh, but football to me is my greatest mm. passion. I know the most about it. Uh, played baseball and football, but football in college. So my, my love's still there, by the way. And uh, to have a 12-year-old son who feels the same way he plays He's much better than I was even, uh, bigger, faster, stronger, which is a good thing. But we you know, sit there on the couch on, you know, now almost every day of the week. And it's like, I, I live a dream life. Let's just put it this way. I got this gorgeous family. Way, I kicked, I'll kick my coverage in so many years of my life. But I will tell you, of all the great things in my life, being able to sit on a couch with your 12-year-old son and watch football and talk football is like the greatest joy I have. Man, I... I I can imagine because one of the big reasons why I'm a, the sports fan that I am is because of my relationship with my father was the same way. But I grew up with soccer. So my parents are Greek. My mom is born and raised in the United States. But my dad, the moment you meet him, you could tell, like, dude is an immigrant. For yeah, sure, right, right? right, right. That's awesome. So growing up, it was the same thing. My first love, I always say my first love is soccer. My passion became football. Nice. So I was a soccer kid growing up, and then I started playing high school football. And then my love for football is what has granted me everything that I'm doing now with all the content and the sports betting. And it's, it's been interesting because I like to ask people what their biggest regret is. Mm. And if you say you don't have a regret, I call BS. Yeah, it's like yeah, there yeah. has to be, maybe there was a girl one time back in college you wanted to talk to at the bar, or maybe there was something you wanted to buy. Everyone has a regret. And when I ask people this, and, and we'll get to what your regret would be, give you some time to think about it, Mine was stopping soccer when I did because, David, I was really good. Like, I played travel. Yeah. I played for the under-15 national team. Like, I was very good. But in one summer, I just fell in love with football. The kid that was the quarterback of my high school before me was a neighborhood friend. He's like, dude, you should go play football for, for, for Brian High School. And I was like, man, I, I'm, I'm really good at the park, you know, two-hand <laughs> touch, but I'm not going to learn a playbook and do all this other craziness. And then immediately – from the first practice, I just fell in love with it. And the reason why I'm saying this story is because my biggest regret was giving up soccer when I did. But also now, is it a regret? Because that love for football has given me this. Right. So it's, it's so interesting because I'm, number one, worried that my son, he's an incredible baseball player as well. That's over 500 on the travel team. They won, you know, the district champion. Just always leads off. I mean, he runs, he fields. He, he literally is a five-tool baseball player, and he really wants to give it up because he loves football so much that he'd rather do sevens and flag and all football all the time. And I'm having a difficult time as a dad, but it's his choice. But I do feel that, you know, he might be someone like you someday to look back and go, man, do I regret it or don't? Because I know the love of the game's not going to leave him. And because of my connections, I'm sure 
somewhere football or sports is going to be integrated into his activity he gets paid for. But my regret's a little different. And, you know, obviously I play in this mindset space a lot and I do talk about regret. My biggest regret is not asking for help by far, you know, I, in what, in what aspect? Almost, especially in entrepreneurship, you know, I lost over a hundred million dollars, right? I went bankrupt. Um, I and, can't wait to have that problem, by the way. <laughs> right. That means that you're doing well. I, you have good, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I got good skills. I had good, good skills and knowledge which brought me back. Right. But it's so interesting because people say, how the hell you lose that much money, man? Are you an idiot? Yes. You know why? Because I thought I knew everything. I had never lost money. My nickname was Midas or money, money. You know, even in college football, my nickname was money, money. Like I was, even though I was playing, people knew I was about the dollar and making right. a lot of money, but I never asked for help. And now with all the success that I'm having, it's because I literally find people who sit in a situation that I want to be in and ask them for help. And whether it was on the field or off the field, if I just, somebody would have slapped me when I was young and said, you know, real humility isn't doing it yourself. Mm. Right, you come from the same type of family background that I do, and it's like you got to grind. Oh, you yeah. can outwork anyone, and you get lost in the fact that you could still outwork everyone, but ask for help and make it easier as you work out for, you know, give everything you have. Oh, absolutely! Like I, I live my life off these three words, and it's get shit done. Love, like, love it. My, my, my dad, immigrant, like I said, uh, when he came here in the late '80s, has a coffee truck to this day in New York City, and the ultimate entrepreneur hustler mindset. And I've been able to adapt that where it's, you know, you, you don't work, you don't eat, you're self-employed, yeah. right? There's no, ah, I'm gonna take a PTO or I'm gonna, you know, go on vacation for two weeks. Yeah, you could go on vacation, but guess what? You're not gonna pay those bills for those two weeks. Yeah, so vacations from, are really expensive when you're doing that. And also you're not, you're not generating any money right. because you have to work in order to, you know, to survive, especially in that kind of field. And my mom's a teacher, so that dynamic was good to see like the security aspect of things and the benefits and the insurances, but then also seeing it on the other side. So that's always resonated with me, like the getting, getting shit done and just, you know, the hustler mentality. When did you suffer these losses? Like how old were you? Because... I always get upset when I see athletes at a young age getting heat from media and TV personalities saying like, oh my God, can you believe they, they ran through $50 million? It's like, of course I could. They're yeah. 22 years old. Dude, I'm, <laughs> I'm 31 years old. If you were to give me a million dollars, I'm going to do some dumb shit. I'm just telling you the truth because I've, I've never had that kind of money. So when you see a 19, 20-year-old kid, he makes it to the NBA and he signs a sneaker deal or he gets his guaranteed bonus of $50 million. It's like, you expect him to be star spangle awesome across the board? It's like, no. no. And he was 22. How old were you when you were making these, these kind of mistakes and losses? You know, here's what's so funny, because I ran the most notable sports agency in the world, right? So I was around, and I got hired to be the CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports Entertainment. They made the movie Jerry Maguire about our firm. I was hired because I was so good with money. And so I started making money in, when I was 24 out of law school, my first million. And I just kept making it. But bad behaviors aggregate on themselves. And what happened was by the time I was 36, those behaviors really aggregated and I had made some really bad decisions. I wasn't paying attention. I lost, you know, we come from that same background. So I grew up like you, gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration, faith. Oh yeah. Right? Like, so I, I, I did it. My, my motto is enjoy the consistent everyday, persistent without quit, 
pursuit of your potential. I don't believe in work. I believe in activity I get paid for, and it's seven days a week for me. Oh, yeah. Right, even today. But I ended up doing really dumb shit. I was financially illiterate. I didn't ask for help. I got way above my skis, thinking I was going to be a billionaire. I was worth over $100 million, uh, into my 30s. And by the time I was 36, filed bankruptcy by the time I was 38. Uh, and I decided at 38, I'm 55 uh, a week from today. I'm 55. Happy early birthday. <laughs> right on. And uh, But I decided at that point I was going to shift my understanding and my relationship with money. In fact, Mr. Wynn was one of the first people that I asked for help from to mentor me, not how to make money, but my relationship with money. And that emotional relationship that I have with money today is why I was able to make it back. Uh, you know, my basement's very high when I, like athletes, for example, quarterbacks, we say their skills and their knowledge are their basement, but their desires, their potential. I have a much higher basement when it comes to making money than most people, but that desire, you know, takes me and you to the next level. So it was easy to make it back for me, but now I make it under an abundant type of philosophy, not a scarce one. No more overselling, back-end selling, lying, manipulating, cheating. It's all about value add. And I give my life to others and in service of others, and I have faith that the money keeps on coming. So greatest way I can uh, tell you, I used to chase money. Mm. Now it follows me. And that's a lot of work to get there. Yeah, and that's an Instagram caption if I ever heard one <laughs> right. before. Where... Is it like a pride thing, not asking for help? Yeah, for sure, right? Be, I, I, you know, for me, it was that do it yourself. Yeah. You know, you don't, you, you, you're not humble if you ask for help. You, you're here to give to people, you know, and not to take. But where the real nuance came in is if you don't ask for more, see, everything I get, I give away. And that is true acknowledgement. I acquire the knowledge of everything I have by giving away. But if I don't ask for more, then I'm going to dissipate and dissolve. And you see, especially teachers, my mom's a second grade teacher. She lived her life giving everything away, appreciating everything, never asking anyone for any more. So slowly but surely, everything, now she needs everyone's help because she doesn't have anything. She gave away her health, her wealth, her worthiness, her happiness, all for her kids, her community, and now she's left with nothing. I started realizing it's just as important to receive as it is to give as long as you have good intention and what you receive. And even a bigger lesson, uh, Nick, I used to think money bought me love and happiness and everything from the time I was 24 till 34, it bought me love and happiness. It confirmed it. But what I realized was money doesn't buy you love or happiness, but it allows you to shop. And the biggest problem people have is they don't shop for the right things. I learned to shop for the right things. No more trades or negotiations. No more buying things I don't need to impress people I don't like. I give it away and provide value to others with the money that I make. I shop for the right things. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because for me, all the money that I've ever made and whether it was the content or when I was working with my dad, I would put it back into my content. Yeah. Like everything. I can't tell you so how, to save, how to save money. I wouldn't give people business advice because I have a friend of mine, Chris, who I call him my agent. He's the smartest kid I know master's degree, he's in economics, finance, the whole nine. And to this day, when there's a contract sent my way, when there's something that, you know, I dropped out of college, David. Yeah. I was, you know, I have a high school education, but I have like that hustler thing where like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure it out. If you give me a task, I'll figure it out. That's always been in my DNA. But I'd be lying to you if I told you that I don't feel awkward out of certain conversations that my friends have or people have that I just wasn't paying attention when I should have been. 
Yeah. So that's where the thing that you said about asking for help, I do think like us as guys, we, we fall into that because of the pride thing. Like I think it's too prideful in our egos. Sure. Well, I, you'll like listening to me because nobody understands what I'm saying. So everyone's <laughs> like, oh, who the hell knows what Meltzer's saying? I listen to him. It sounds super intelligent. So <laughs> I well, call them Meltzerisms. Well, look, you, you also said you're, you're turning 55 and I don't mind taking advice from someone like you who's been through it. I have an issue and the guys in the control room know this when there's a young entrepreneur and you see young entrepreneurs now and like, I, it feels weird to me, uh, a 21, 22 year old trying to like school me on life. It's like, dude, you haven't experienced anything at all. Uh, how, how do you feel about young entrepreneurs and young entrepreneur content? Well, look, I look for people that sit in a situation that I want to be in. So if there's a young entrepreneur like and, and uh, his scope of knowledge has to be much smaller than yours at 31 or mine at 55. But that's not to say I'm not going to ask a young entrepreneur, hey, tell me about this chat, uh, you know, MPT, right? They know much more about that thing than I do, but I'm not going to have them give me advice about having kids, getting married, how to build wealth. You know, come on, man. They, they, these kids talk out of their ass. They stand in front of cars they don't own, houses that they're leasing, giving advice that they have no. Look, the only thing you learn as you get older is you don't know what you don't know. So all these little youngsters out there that think they know what they know, that should be a clue that they don't know what they don't know. And I 100% agree. Now, I don't want to discourage them, though. Right? Right. I want them to make mistakes. I want them to learn. I want them to do their best. I want them to ask for help. And I want them to have fun. But they have to take some responsibility uh, in what they're saying because there's a bunch of other people that believe what they say because they're standing in front of cars that they don't own or houses that they're leasing, or they have a podcast and you know somehow they've convinced a million people or they bought a million bots or whatever they've done. And I don't like what you don't like about it is, you know, bad advice, you know, from people just because someone loves you or just because they're standing in front of a car doesn't mean they're giving you good advice. You song me a little bit about that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that because you're right, in a specific genre or field that they're in, maybe they are an expert and they have more experience on it than what you and I might have. So from that standpoint, I agree with you. You did swing me on that. But not life. Not yeah. Like there's certain conversations where it's like, dude, I'm not I'm not gonna take advice uh, from you on that. It's my just, bro- my brother's a very famous rabbi, went to Harvard, right? And so when you get married in my religion, you, you have to go through marriage counseling. And my mom's like, well, you, you have to go with your brother for marriage counseling. Now, my brother's younger than me. I'm not sure he ever got laid, let alone he wasn't married. <laughs> like, what advice is he going to give me and my wife? Yeah. I told my mom, there's no effing way. There's no way. Give me, like, the old, you know, guy who has eight kids and has three ex-wives. Like, I'd like to learn about marriage yeah, from him. Yeah, he's been through the trenches. <laughs> exactly. He, he can give you some experiences. <laughs> yeah. You're on social media a ton. What's your relationship with it? So for me, I Shakespearean, and I know this is probably not the answer you're getting from most people, but I'm older. So I have a Shakespearean relationship with social media, meaning number one, Shakespeare said the whole world is your stage. I don't think that people realize the size, scope, and scale of the stage that they've been given. Right? I'm old school. I used to show up, get paid 10 grand when I started speaking, and there'd be 100 people there, and I'm like, oh, my God. 
the house is full, man. Yeah. This is amazing. And now I get a video, get 40,000 views, and my team's like, oh, that didn't perform very well. And I'm thinking, that's all a Petco. Like, what are you talking <laughs> Like, if someone paid me right now and said, hey, you want to speak for, you know, 10 minutes at Petco? I'd be like, hell yeah, it, it, full, right? So that that's the weird thing. So number one, the whole world is your stage. And those people that understand that, like you, will invest every penny in themselves to build their community and their brand, which is what I completely respect. Two, Shakespeare also said that um, to thine own self be true. And when the whole world is your stage and your essence now can resonate. See, if you live in Knoxville, Indiana, and you're, you know, Dr. Pimple Popper, you have no chance of being successful because they're just going to laugh at you, scoff at you, make fun of you, even though you have a medical degree, but you're disgusting because there's not a big enough audience. Mm. So what you have to learn to do because of the scale of the whole world being your stage is capture, number one, your essence, who you are. And I usually tell people, if you don't know who you are, look at your skills, your knowledge, and your desire. That'll encapsulate who you are. So Dr. Pimple Popper, that's her skills, her knowledge, and her desire. And in a small scale stage, not going to work. But when the whole world's there, all of a sudden, when you modify that for every platform and amplify it through different shows and media platforms, et cetera, all of a sudden, you got your own Bravo TV show and you're making millions of dollars yeah. being Dr. Pimple Popper. And then you create a perpetual library of Dr. Pimple Popper stuff and you make even more money. And this is what people don't understand. So I love social media because to me, it allows me to capture who I am, modify who I am, amplify who I am, and perpetuate it, which for me allows me to monetize it. It is the legacy. It's not the one that I was thought I was going to leave, but my grandchildren will never have to work because of the content that I've created. Yeah, and it's everlasting too. It don't, and I only get better at it. Yeah. <laughs> Like you. Yeah, that's so that's so cool, man, because it's true too. Like I've always wanted to create something that'll live forever. Like yeah. that's always been like a main goal of mine. And and a lot of your content is gonna live forever too. As we start to wind down, because I know we're running out of time, I could talk to you for hours and Vice I'm sure I'll, I'll I'll talk to you again. Uh do you ever turn it off? Like are you always like on? <laughs> with 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 because I see you're always talking to people, you always have like a whole team around you, like do you ever just like grab a beer, chill? I know you were talking about watching sports with your son, but like, is there ever a time where you're just not on? Yeah, so I meditate every day. Um, but I have an interesting relationship with, with uh, energy. And that is that I believe that I'm connected to this omniscient, all-powerful source of energy. So that I don't get sick. I have more energy than most people half mm. my age. And so I have worked on, instead of, getting more of stuff, including energy, clearing the interference that I have to this source power. So for me, whether I'm meditating or sleeping or chilling with a beer, watching a game, right? I'm always trying to be at ease. So it's very difficult. And I, and I have some friends like, dude, you're, you're on so much. It exhausts me just watching you in a day. And I've had people try to shadow me and pass out literally they can't keep up yeah it's not sustainable for others right yeah. and, and so for, for me it's really i'm at ease i've just mastered utilizing the energy that we all have so in my philosophy i should have more and more energy as i get older and older because we're all connected to the same source of energy most people just interfere with it and so yes 
I would say I'm much more active and on uh, time-wise, linear time-wise than most people on earth. But because I know how to be at ease while I'm on and two, to recover very well. So I start my day at 9 p.m. That doesn't mean I wake up at 9 p.m. I believe an unwinding routine is more important than anything to put your body, mind, and soul in a position to recover and to access information for the next day. I'm always plateauing and growing. I study time, I master time, I utilize energy and time. So uh, if you're not a person who likes to be active or on, I'm not gonna be someone that resonates with you, but I do meditate and sleep extremely well. And there's certain times with my wife and son especially that I'm probably one of the most chill things. It does piss my wife off, I will tell you, that <laughs> I'm on so much and then we, we, have, we do walks together, whatever, and I'm chilling. Yeah. And she, she wants me to be on. She wants to be like, tell me about your day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It sucks for me because I'm done. <laughs> That's good, man. That's good. I got to, I want to ask you uh, for a favor. Sure. And uh, I had a. You learned old, your lesson, right? Ask yeah, Dave for help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, but this is going to be interesting because I had uh, my old high school coach one time. I asked him, I was like, coach, I need a favor. He's like, if it doesn't involve money, I'll help you out, son. That's I what like he told it. me. <laughs> So I've, I've heard stories, I've done my homework, and we have a mutual friend, John Orlando, shout to him, he's yeah. been on my show too, and he's told me a lot about you. But where does, where does that thing come from that you're so giving? Like where does that, where, what's the origin story of it where you're just so, I've heard stories that you just help, you just love to help, like where does that come from? That's what I would love for you to give me. Like where does that source? So for me, it's an understanding of flow. Right, everybody talks about this influencer age. Well, what is an influencer spreading? The flu, they're spreading disease. They're standing in front of houses and cars. And so I understand the universe and flow. I study every day and what I study is abundance. And so when people say, Dave, how, where does this giving come from? Like you're always of service and of value. Yeah, because I have more faith than most people that there's more than enough. So it's just three things that I believe. One. I appreciate everything I have. So I'm always looking for the light, the love, and the lessons. I'm looking for the positive. Appreciate it means to add value. So I want to add value to everything. The people, the ideas, the, the material items, I want to add value to it. Then second step is called acknowledgement. In order to acquire the knowledge of what you've had to acknowledge something, you can't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. So most people, they give it away or they lose it or it's been cheating, man, cheated, manipulated, or stolen from them. And I'm okay with all of them. I'm okay because I get the greatest gift of acknowledgement. I get to acquire the knowledge. There's no difference to me between me giving you $100 or me losing it or me investing it. I'm getting rid of it. I'm acknowledging it. Now, that last piece, the third step is the one we started with, so it's a perfect one to end on. I believe that I live in a value-add world. So the third step is asking for more. I appreciate, I build my vessel, I acknowledge it, I empty my vessel, then I ask for more by doing, saying, thinking, believing, and feeling what I want. I ask, I wish, I desire for things. When they come through me, once again, I appreciate it, I acknowledge it, and I even ask for more. So my vessel, my being is expanding 
And most people live in scarcity. They're trading, negotiating, overselling, back and selling. Everything's quid pro quo. And they live in worlds of not enough or just enough, buying things they don't need to impress people they don't like or to feed their ego instead of feeding others. And so for me, this three-step philosophy, I laugh because I see giving and receiving as one. And I see my life as, God, you're asking for so much. And everyone else is saying, you give so much. And then I started realizing, don't stop asking because you won't be able to give so much if you don't have so much. I'll, last quick analogy. I got engaged when I was in law school. I had no money at all. And when I bought the ring for my fiance, who was super duper North Jersey Jewish rich, and some of you guys from New York know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I gave her this ring. It was every penny plus that I had. And I think it was $800. And it was everything I had. And when I gave it, everyone else was like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. You know, like, so now I'm rich at 30 and I marry my dream girl from the fourth grade. She's my everything. 25 years later, we're married with four kids and I think even more of her. And I gave her a huge ring. It was maybe 1% of what I had. Maybe. But what did everybody say, right? Oh my God, he's so generous. Yeah. You are so, that's the nicest ring I've ever, right? That's how I live my life. I have so much because I ask and I appreciate it and acknowledge and I ask and I pre If I didn't ask, I'd be like my mom and people wouldn't say, oh my gosh, he's so generous. He's always giving. You know why I can give? Because I have more than everybody and I'm willing because I acknowledge with faith that I'll have more. So just, I keep giving away. I lose it, but it just keeps coming. It follows me. Yeah, and you definitely get a feeling of satisfaction by helping others. That it's unless unless you're ever in that position where you could do that for someone, you don't really know how yeah. how cool that is. And the people who can and put themselves in that position have asked. David Meltzer, you're a badass. I you appreciate are too. your time. Thank you for the 